big day in New York City today. The uh, United Nations General Assembly gets underway, and uh, the 73rd UN General Assembly. Uh, the Prime Minister is there today lobbying. Uh, we heard a couple of weeks ago that he was not going to be addressing the General Assembly, but he's there nonetheless because uh, they're looking for a seat on the UN Security Council. Now, this is something that's been going on for the last little while. And by the way, it's, it's uh, not until 2021 that they're actually going to vote on this, but uh, they're stumping and handshaking and trying to get everything done about this. By the way, coincidentally, while the Prime Minister is in the U.N. building today, so is Donald Trump. He is addressing the General Assembly today. Will there be an off-the-record discussion? Will they talk about NAFTA? Uh, Who knows? Let's bring Marvin Ryder into the discussion, business professor at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. Marvin, great to have you with us. Thanks for the time today. Glad to be here, Bill. Is is this a big deal, this uh, this, uh, seat on the, uh, the, the Security Council for the U.N.? Is it a big deal? Well, over time, Canada has been on the Security Council, and, and I suppose most famously, it was actually chaired by Lester Pearson once upon a time. It was at, during the, one of those sessions that the idea came up for peacekeeping forces in the world, and that's a Canadian idea, and it actually won uh, Lester Pearson a Nobel Prize. Uh, we have been thinking we should be on the Security Council for the better part of a decade, but Stephen Harper uh, didn't earn any friends internationally, and we, we just couldn't uh, get that seat. Now, to the world, the concern about putting Canada on Security Council is, are we simply the United States puppet? Is the United States getting two votes suddenly on Security Council? Remember, there are five permanent members. The other people rotate on and off as they go forward. And I certainly think today, if there's been a benefit of the election of Donald Trump, it's a proof that Canada is not anybody's puppet, at least certainly not America's puppet, and I think that's helping to bolster the cause. Uh, and certainly Justin has raised our profile and created a lot of goodwill. Other than that, just being part of the club, being and taking that responsibility, there's no other benefit to Canada. Uh, but I think we feel it's our time to be there and our turn. We should, we should do what we can to be there. It just seemed as if in the initial uh, era of the U.N. that uh, the Canada seemed to have a more significant role. Uh, and you mentioned Lester Pearson, of course, and that was uh, some time ago. I can even remember watching some of the coverage of the Cuban Missile Crisis back in 1962, Marvin, and uh, a fellow by the name of George Ignatieff was the Canadian ambassador to the U.N., and they were on the Security Council at that time. Of course, his his son Michael tried to become the prime minister. That didn't go too well. But but I don't know that we've been on recently, have we? Oh, no. We, ha- we haven't been on the Security Council for nearly 20 years, okay. and, and that makes some sense. There is 183 countries in the world, and if uh, only five permanent members, the other people rotate on and off. You can't be there all the time, but the feeling had been that it was our turn, it was our time, but that feeling goes back to nearly 15 years ago, and, and we just couldn't do it because 15 years ago, Canada was seen as being too closely allied to the United States. Right now, though, uh, that that perception has changed dramatically. And I know, again, people will talk about Justin Trudeau as a victory of style over substance, but that style, in contrast to Donald Trump's style, actually says we've got the best shot we've ever had to getting back on the Security Council. But with that in mind, uh, the the betting right now is that, well, we're probably in third place uh, for the one seat here. Uh, And apparently we're trailing Ireland and Norway. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised completely at that. So remember that where are the bulk of these 183 nations? Uh, many of them are in Africa. Many of them are in Asia. Um, and so therefore, sort of that one big supercontinent of Asia, Europe, and Africa, they tend to look at each other. And again, if I'm Ireland or I'm, I'm Norway, I am very much distinct from this American block up in here. So he, he's got some work to do here. Now, uh, Norway has had its challenges, certainly under the refugee crisis by 
by not taking refugees. We stepped up last year, taking a large number from Syria, and that was very impressive on the world stage. Um, Ireland has also recently changed some of its rules. It took a long time, given its Catholic background, to recognize a gay marriage, but that's now been done. So, yeah, you've got three very progressive nations there, and it's a luxury of riches if I'm one of the world leaders voting on this, because all three of them would be suitable candidates. We just feel it's our time, and that's why we have to press a little flesh. Uh, the Ireland situation is interesting, because you figure a little tiny country like that, but apparently uh, they uh, are, are well known because of their commitment to U.N. peacekeeping efforts, uh, uh, something that's been a little controversial in Canada recently. Are, are we a good U.N. member? Are we, are we you know, making all the right moves and saying all the right things? To that question, yes, we are, are talking the talk. The question becomes, are we walking the talk? And I would say that uh, in terms of peacekeeping, more recently we have not been doing as much as we once did. Proportionately, our peacekeeping efforts are, are poorer than they were 15, 20 years ago. We were actually more engaged that way. Part of that, of course, is due to our thinner resources. You know, we have some antiquated ships, we have some old planes, and we can't deploy them. We, we Troops are one thing, but we also need to deploy technology. So I think, again, if Justin can make some promises to people that we're renewing those planes, we're renewing those uh, ships, uh, and we will be able to stand toe-to-toe with the rest of the world in peacekeeping, that would be a great assurance. But again, he needs to walk that talk. He needs to start spending some of that money. Bill, if, I, if I'm going to be critical of Justin Trudeau at all, remember he's now been in power for nearly three years. Uh, he's said a lot of good things on the defense file, but he's not actually done very much. I thought by now we would have sorted out some of these issues around planes and ships um, and that we're still talking about them worries me a little bit in terms of making our case to the world that we should be on the Security Council. Well, there's another story this weekend about that, you know, that uh, the, the defense minister says we're really, really, really close to deciding who's going to build these new ships for us. Uh, that's, that was, that's three years ago they made that commitment. Yeah, they were really, really close three years ago. They're even closer now. Uh, maybe they're having problems pulling the trigger because these are expensive things. I, I don't think, Bill, as we talk about this, we should trivialize it. You know, new planes, new boats, a billion dollars a piece. That you know, that's not a surprising thing. There's a tremendous amount of technology now in these uh, in these uh, 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 peacekeeping things that we need. Uh, it's not an inexpensive proposition. And remember, this is a government going into an election next year that has been. Uh, or is continuing to be stung by his deficit spending. So how much more do I increase the deficit? My, I'm guessing what's happening here is Minister Morneau is hoping that if he can bring down the amount of money he needs to borrow to sort of run the country, then they can ramp a little bit back up to help pay for the initial defense. But how much and how fast, I think that's what they're working on right now. If they are fortunate enough to be selected for this uh, Security Council seat, how long do they sit there? I think it's a five-year term. Okay. Uh, so you're you're not again you're not there forever, but I believe it's a five year term, and and you might say all of this effort just to be there for five years. But I think again, it's trying to make a statement about Canada on the world stage. Um, we are a member of the G7 nations, although frankly, again, if you look at the size of our economy, we aren't the seventh largest economy in the world. Now, that's in part because China is not a member of the G7, and, of course, Russia is no longer a member of the G8 at that time. So there are some other economies that vie with this. So how do we keep ourselves relevant on the world stage? Um, there would be many people in Ottawa that would hate to imagine that we'd be dropped from the G7 and relegated to the G20, the 20 largest nations in the world. So what can we do to keep our profile 
And I think that's where a Security Council recognition would make, make people say, oh, yes, okay, that's a, that's a country worth reckoning with. That's why it's part of that exclusive seven-nation club. Well, because he's tried to talk that talk at the G7 and the G20 meetings. I mean, I think there's been a concerted effort to try to raise Canada's profile with some of the things that he has done, or some of the things he said at those meetings anyway, and it would dovetail nicely to get this, uh, this UN gig. It would, and, and certainly since we're, we have been standing up to Mr. Trump stage when it comes to these tariffs and negotiating NAFTA, uh, certainly no one today is of the opinion that Justin Trudeau is Trump's lapdog on any of this. He is a very skilled politician when he talks about Trump. He doesn't take him on directly, but he also doesn't rubber stamp everything Donald says. And I think for the world, that's a great reassurance today. Um, and, and for all I know, depending upon how these NAFTA negotiations turn out, we might get awarded the, uh, the Security Council seat as a consolation prize. You know, okay, Mr. Trump raked you over the coals really badly, so let's give you a little something to make you feel better. The world might award us that in, in lieu. Speaking of Mr. Trump, uh, yes. he's in the same building today. Uh, he's going to be addressing yes. the General Assembly. Uh, the Prime Minister is going to be there. Uh, they've got some stuff to discuss. Is there any chance of it? I know there's no official meeting that's scheduled now, but I mean, if they bump into each other in an elevator or something, uh, is there a perchance per a, a, an opportunity for them to sit down and say, hey, about that NAFTA deal? <laughs> well, uh, the answer is maybe, uh, although we're not directly negotiating with Donald, so even how current he is with the file is always a question. Let me first start with Donald, and then I'll come back to your question directly. What we're going to be watching in Donald Trump's speech, last year it was uh, really just a bombshell that he got up there and spoke, because he began by saying, you know, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to make my country great again, and by the way, all you people, you should be focused on making your countries great again, too, which is not the message of the United Nations. The United Nations is that we should be working together to make a better world. Trump was actually signaling a lot of isolationism. So he's had a year to mellow. Is his speech going to be different? Is he going to embrace the true mission of the United Nations? And is he going to suggest the United, uh, the United States has a role to play in this greater world order? Or is he going to signal more isolationism that, again, this is all about me and all about us, and I don't really care about you? And so we're going to be watching that closely. Now, in terms of, of Justin, if they were to run into the hall, yes, I suppose there, there could be a little discussion. But since Trump isn't up on the file, I'm not sure it would be very productive. Now, what I've been led to believe is that Christia Freeland is also in New York this week. Um, Robert Lighthizer plans to be there, as does Wilbur Ross. That side conversation is the much more important. Um, and, and, Bill, I would also say to you, our discussions ended last Thursday. Christia Freeland hosted uh, many foreign ministers in Montreal on Friday. So when they break off these discussions, as they did Thursday afternoon, it's not shake hands and go away. They normally give each other things to study. So, okay, we've talked all day. I want you to think about this, and the next time we get together, let's talk about that. So there could be side discussions. Remember the deadline imposed by the Americans is September 30th. Uh, that that comes up on Sunday, next Sunday, so we are just a week away. Um, I don't think it's the end of the world if we miss it, but if we're really close, let's use this to get some more momentum going. And that's what we don't know. Mr. Lighthizer and, and Ms. Freeland have been very close-lipped when they talk to the press. Uh, I was watching Cable 14 on the weekend, and Jessica Brennan said she wants that script to change. She's getting tired of we're working hard and we're making progress. She wants something more substantial. But they aren't negotiating in public, so we don't know how close they are. But I have to believe that a little push, 
probably a compromise on Canada's part, but also a compromise on the Americans' part, we might have a deal. Would New York be the place to do it, get everybody out of their home base? Maybe. We'll just have to wait and see. Well, I, I finished uh, Woodward's book, uh, Fear, over the weekend. Oh, and uh, <laughs> I mean, it's obvious, just based on, on – and it's, it's pretty credible stuff, of course, that Woodward writes. Trump reads nothing. He, has, he doesn't read briefing notes. He doesn't listen to anybody, and he will just dismiss people out of hand that try, try to say anything that's contrary to his mindset. So this is really Lighthizer's baby. I mean, I know Trump's the one that's mm-hmm. giving all the bluster and everything, but I mean, he, he's he's first of all he's a protect. You know, he's as you mentioned, he's a protectionist. The speech he gave last year at the UN was that was pure Steve Bannon, and the trade policy that Trump adheres to is purely Steve Bannon. In other words, to hell with everybody else in the world, just look after ourselves. And you got to wonder if some of the other folks uh, that have a little more, uh, I, I guess, open mindedness about this sort of thing are finally going to get his ear. Yes, or let me use another term, political acumen, you know, that, that tone that we have to win everything and you have to lose just doesn't play in international circles. I've never seen that tone played out before, and it makes America seem like a bully, and I don't think that's a good position for them in the 21st century. But you can let the leader do that. It's the people underneath him, his lieutenants, for lack of a better term, and how they operationalize his strategy that makes a difference. I, I would tell you that I have time for Lighthizer. I don't think he is simply a puppet of Donald Trump. I think he has an independent mind, and I think he, when they sit down and have these earnest discussions on, on the largest trade deal between two nations in the world, no one should again kid themselves. This is why it's so complicated. Trade between Canada and the United States is the biggest trade agreement between two nations in the world. I, I think Lighthizer gets that, and he understands that it's a very complicated thing. He's also got to sell it to his boss at some point. So chances are if there's got to be a compromise. He's got to be able to say to the boss, sure, I gave them a little here, but look at this great thing I got over here, Donald. Uh, uh, if you will, distract him by a big shiny object, and that may work just fine. He's got to have a shiny object. And I think that's the question for Christia Freeland. Can she find a way to give them that? The way I understood it last week, we were so close. One concern has been around intellectual property rights. Uh, Americans, especially guided by American drug companies, feel that the patent protection on drugs is too short. Today, it's uh, uh, 20 years. They'd like to see it go up to 25 years. Canada, who believes in institutionalized medicine, you know, we feel pretty good at 20 years because then we can get uh, competitors making generic versions of them and bring our drug costs down. So I'm sure there's some healthy discussion going on there. But again, clever people confronted with a deadline should be able to make some intelligent compromise. I will be now, Bill, one of those people who believe that I I don't want to see this get past September 30th. It's not the end of the world if we do. Yes, we could sign a deal on October 3rd or 4th or 10th, whatever it happens to be. But I think we are so close, we need to do what we can to push it over. If there are some areas that we don't like, put them aside and deal with them in the next round of talks. We can always fix it down the road, but I think we have a unique window right now to get a deal. I'd hate to see us lose that. Why then haven't we done that before? It seems as if you know that, that we've come close before, uh, and then all of a sudden something seems to come up at the last minute. Well, I think, I think the feeling has been that regardless of what Mr. Trump feels, that we have friends in Congress, we have friends in the Senate and the House of Representatives. Uh, you may have heard, for instance, a month ago when Mexico signed on that Many of the people in Congress said, we won't approve a deal if Canada is not there. But with the midterm elections looming, I'm also getting a little sense that our friends are getting a little tired of us. And yes, we understood you needed time, but look, it's been four more weeks. How much more do you have to talk about, especially when you tell us you're down to the last few items? Come on, 
find a way to make this deal come forward. So even our friends are now changing their tone a little bit and saying, now is the time. And, and a bit like the Americans, they want this deal signed by the Mexican president they know rather than the Mexican president they don't. I would like to get this deal in front of the Congress we know rather than the next Congress, even though my gut tells me there's going to be more Democrats and Democrats are our friends. You know, I don't know that for certain. We do have a Congress today prepared to do something. If we can get them something by October 1st, gosh, I'd hate to see us lose that window. Well, the opportunities there, it just seems all the principals are going to be in New York City over the next couple of days. You'd like to think that something like that could happen. Marvin, thanks as always. If anywhere, it'll happen there. Well, hope so. Hope so. Hope you're right. Thanks again for the time, Marvin. <laughs> Anytime, Bill. Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University.